0: Welcome back to The Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. This conversation was with my new friend, my new elder friend, Bobby Klein. Bobby Klein is a legend in the world in general, and particularly in Tulum, Mexico, where I'll be here for about a total of a month, and I've been here for the last few weeks, and it's been a real hell of a ride. Some of you may have known, followed on Instagram, whatever, been scuba diving and been exploring ruins and all sorts of stuff, and while I was out here, I heard from just countless people that I gotta connect with this guy, Bobby Klein, Bobby Klein, Bobby Klein. And for excellent reason, I was really impressed and um, surprised in the best way of the, the quality of a man that he is and the conversation that we got to have. We go deep into what the hell we're doing in the world in the first place, the the fears and subconscious kind of twists and turns that many of us have underlying inside of our minds um, and what that is, what the hell this human experience is. So this is a, a kind of a far reaching Kind of deep philosophical conversation with a lot of more superficial good time stuff. Get into his stories as a smuggler, one uh, from Colombia. He used to fly planes between United States and Colombia, smuggling cannabis, I think, or hash or something of the sort. He was a photographer for the Doors. He was the first acu- licensed acupuncturist in the United States, so largely responsible for the, the bringing of acupuncture to the Western world. He's uh, he's like a true elder which is a big deal. Um, So I I think he would be, he wouldn't call himself a shaman, but I think many people would refer to him as a shaman, but he's certainly a badass and a brilliant counselor and um, a a real role model for a a lot of people in the world. So I was really grateful to get to share this conversation. And finally, very exciting news. We have everything that we sell from the resistance bands, the strength kit or the self-care kit or uh, the Align collection clothing, the pants. We have women's shorts, men's shorts, the stretchy Align jogger pants, which people will be going crazy for, which I'm really grateful about. It's Thanksgiving, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. All that is 20% off. So we are running a sale on everything. So if you've been interested in grabbing anything through Align, our brand, it's all for sale. So if you want to check that out, you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram at Align Podcast and just click on the link and uh, you can get yourself some new clothes or some resistance bands and training stuff. Depending on where you are, gyms are probably closed. So why not soup up your home gym situation? with uh total strength i'm traveling with it right now i'm really literally looking over it's on my desk right now uh, i was just using the orange band on the ground to stretch out hamstrings do all the things so there's a door anchor several different size resistance bands all things that you would need to mobilize those joints and strengthen that body so all that can be found at uh off of alignpodcast.com, or you can also just go to the line podcast instagram Click on the link. All right, here we go. Back to the program with my new friend, it's a new mentor, Bobby Klein, here in Tulum, Mexico. Wow. I don't know. I okay. could make it up and, and say, so I would feel validated for a moment of understanding technology, but I really don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah, I think that term, fake it till you make
0: it is horseshit. Fake it till you make it horseshit. Is it horse shit. Tell me about that. we are record. Podcast started. All right. Why is fake it till you make it horseshit?
1: Because you're relieving yourself of responsibility. Hmm. And I think we have to be responsible for what we do, what we say, and how we are in the world. It's our responsibility. You know, I come out of the, out of the making my bones in the 60s. And uh, in the 60s, it was an easy time in a lot of ways. But we learned how we could live together. That we could live together in peace. The, the world was at peace. There were no wars. America was a beautiful place to be, very quiet time. And um, we learned how to live together. I just talked to my ex-wife and we figured we fed 2,000 people over a few years. You know, we just had a big pot of spaghetti going all the time and people would come in. But we learned a different way to live, you know. And so it didn't matter what, what sex you were. It didn't matter how much money you had. It didn't matter what your position was in life, you know, whether you're a traveler, or a resident, whatever it was. And it was a wonderful place. It all ended uh, around the Vietnam War but the way we lived I feel it's a responsibility for those of us that survived and I'm a survivor those of us that survived I believe it's our responsibility to teach what it was like and that's why I teach and that's my raison d'etre is to be a teacher.
0: What do you see what stands out that's different in the world today compared to to then?
1: Hmm. What's not different you know, I think it's more of that it's, it's all different, a different way of being a different sensibility, a different way that people react to each other. But it's all leading back to the bottom line, which for me, people ask me, what, what is your practice about? It's about love. And so if that's our bottom line, how we get there, you know, we're all going to the same river. How we get there is our choice. But getting to the river is very different. Uh, in these times. I mean, we still have prayer, we still have spirituality, we still have religion, or however it is we're going to take the ride to the river, but it's very different now. It's harder now.
0: I wonder with you, you're 79 years old? 78. 78 years old. How has your relationship with death transformed over the last few decades?
1: You know, I I was lucky, blessed, to be a student of Joseph Campbell. Oh, great. And I literally sat at his feet. And it was a. Uh, I had just gotten divorced, and I needed to find a therapist badly. And I was introduced to this guy who was older, guy in his eighties, who had been a student of Jung, and a student of Adler, and uh, he was a priest. He was also had been a college president and uh, one Thursday a month is what it worked out to, is he had people over. He had Robert Bly, he had Joseph Campbell, he had the head of the Jung Institute, he was a Jungian analyst, mm-hmm. and uh, he invited me, but there was no chair for me by the fire, and I literally sat at their feet as I was, as I was there, and much like you would in a monastery, and I learned a lot, I mm-hmm. learned a lot. I hardly participated, but I was just being taught. You know, and what Mr. Campbell said is, you know, it's uh, follow your bliss. And the universe will open doors that have been forever closed. And I believe that's true.
0: In your life, are there standout moments that you have forced yourself to to, to swim against the current and kind of go against your bliss?
1: (laughs) Yes. Some I can talk about. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I pretty much got against uh, the, what we could call the norm since I've been young. I went into business at 15 in LA and had parking. At, I had the first parking uh, service for people's parties in LA just because my parents had parties and they had to go hunting for guys to park the cars. So I put that together and I did really well. I, in those days, I was making, remember, this is the 50s. And I was making like 800, 900 bucks a week. And that's now like six, 7,000 a week. So it really, I'm doing well for a young kid. And at one point, I went to my father, who was a gangster. My dad was a gangster. And I went to my father and said, listen, you know, I really need to take a year off school. And run my business because it's really going to break loose. And, you know, I really want to run it and do it the right way. And uh, he said, no. He said, if you, if you, if you uh, quit school, you don't have a roof over your head. And I said the wrong thing to my father. I said, you know what, man? Fuck you. I'm going to do it. Oh, that was not the right thing to say. And he literally threw me out the door right then. And he thought that I would come back and say, I'm sorry, Papa. But I was my father's son. And uh, that was swimming against the tide. I slept at a friend of mine's house and eventually rented my own apartment. And uh, in those days, you didn't need credit. If you had a checking account, you were gold. So I rented a beautiful apartment in Beverly Hills and ran my business. And then I put myself back in high school. I graduated high school.
0: I wonder if from the 30,000-foot view, if you were ever are actually swimming against any current or from the grander perspective you're always within the flow like you're always guided even if it feels like you're banging your head up against it it's the same, wall.
1: same tapestry different threads yeah but it's all the same picture all the same t- and i i and i can look back and i can see how each event uh yeah. morphed into the next event or transitioned into the next event they all had pieces of it right even those stories i can't talk about <laughs> some of those yeah
0: I did a uh, breath work type thing Mm -hmm. last night. And the card beforehand, they like smudged you and put like masculine essential oil and feminine and rubbed them and set intentions. And you pulled a card and the whole thing. And then you do this psychedelic breathing experience for it was just an an hour long Mm -hmm. thing, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, But the card that I pulled was said, said struggle. And it was like Mm -hmm. this fish going up the river. You know, and it's something that I I feel like I've been over the last month, definitely kind of in the sense, this place of like, I feel like I'm definitely going against some currents right now. But then I'm also in this place of being at peace with that and being at peace with making, you know, what my present mind deems to be like a bad decision, you know, as opposed to putting myself in that continual double bind of, oh, I'm doing it again. It's like, what if I just let go? And say, "You know what? there's nothing wrong, nothing right, just here I am.
1: And we can't make bad decisions. That's what I teach. You, know, you, <laughs> c- you cannot make a bad decision, you know because it may it may lead to bliss, joy or it might d- lead to suffering. And without suffering, you know, it's the, in Buddhism, without suffering, there's no life. Hmm. You know we do need to suffer. I think that sucks, but, but we do need to suffer and go through it. And it's how we handle that suffering, where that suffering takes us. Yeah. And I think that's what it really is about.
0: Have you come up with your sense of the root of suffering?
1: Fear. And whatever that fear is, you know, it's your fear. I think it's, I don't think you're going to suffer if you haven't been afraid of something. Or you put yourself in that position. But I, uh, and and fear has to be dealt with, you know, dissected and you come through it. And I think that suffering is part of that. But also, you know, I I remember when I got uh, divorced and my suffering was awesome. I had two kids and I'd been married for 10 years and uh, I was teaching martial arts in Colorado and I came back to my house, there was another guy living with my wife and that was suffering. Right. And so finally he left. But, you know, I I remember lying on the living room floor in a, a fetal position crying, you know, because it was so much. Because I never really had a family. And finally I had a family. Yeah. And then this was being, it was like a, a tooth extraction, having it taken from me. And that was big. That was suffering. But that suffering led me to the teacher I talked about, Malcolm Boyd Dana which led me into another level of spirituality. And I didn't take up. And I said, you know, the way it happened was I showed up for my fourth session with him, beautiful house in Santa Monica, one of the old, great old mission houses. And um, he opened the door and he said, oh, he said, look, I'm not going to be able to have you as a patient anymore. I said, oh, great. I'll kill myself, you know, because I finally had found my father, my uncle, my teacher. He says, no, no. He said, you're going to do what I do one day. And you're going to hang out with me as a friend, and you're going to learn. And that's the way it was. Mm. I had that learning, and so that's what led me into uh, my work, but not really the work, capital W work, not that work yet. But it definitely positioned me in a good way. And I was a photographer in those days. I was a rock and roll photographer.
0: The Doors. The Doors. Man, oh man, I used to love The Doors as a kid. I mean, they still do, but I used to be obsessed as like a 15-year-old.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. G- you know, Jim uh, lived next door to me. Wow. He and I were really good friends, had lots of advent not really good friends, we- but we had a lot of adventures together. Yeah, and some of those I can talk about.
0: <laughs> what kind of adventures can you talk about?
1: Oh, was, we, we spent a lot of time a lot, a lot of time around women, and, you know, I just watched these women flock around him. and you know girls under the table doing shit you know it was it was pretty wild
0: did you guys trip together
1: no drugs no nope. i wasn't i was i smoked a little hashish in those days for me my high was sergeant pepper's album and uh, and good afghani hash that's great yeah <laughs> that was those were my drugs of choice and jim was not a druggie. you know jim oh, wow. jim's substance was alcohol Mm. You know, he really was not. You know, some psychedelics, as I know, and I think later things changed and a lot came into his life. But when I knew him, Jim was not a druggie at all. What do you
0: think the difference between a, an alcohol person and a psychedelic person is? <laughs> or a psychoactive substance? I was
1: just I was just talking to uh, uh, the last woman I just saw. And uh, she's a recovering alcoholic. And... Uh, I said, listen, I remember what a friend of mine, Nuno, said. He, he used to be, have a hotel here. And he said, drinking makes you normal. Mm-hmm. And who wants to be normal? Yeah. You know?
0: Unless you want to be normal. Unless,
1: that's it. You know, if you ever read The Mists of Avalon? No. Which is a woman's, uh, kind of a woman's take on the King Arthur myth. Yeah. And um, in that, they, she talks about the once-borns. The ones who come into this life and that's it. There was no, no past life, no life. And they come in as, um, you know, doing a lot of the work, coming in as, as uh, worker bees, as, as um, callous as that sounds. But that's what she said. And I think that happens with people who, who drink a lot to numb themselves. Yeah. You know, because it certainly is not an advancement. Whereas psychedelics are a great teacher. And I believe that that's their, their place. Remember, I came up with, you know, Sandoz Acid in those days, the real thing, from the real Russian air god. And um, those were amazing. And I was introduced to all of that as ceremonial. Yeah. It was not taking it for fun. It was taking it as a ceremony. And what came out of that ceremony was what it was. And now I look at people say, oh, I'm going to take my medicine. I say, fuck, man, it's psychedelic. It's not medicine. Yeah, You know, they get, get real. And uh, people who take it to party and all that, I think it's, you know, that's against the tide. You know, that's not with the tide. Yeah. And I think that psychedelics can be really useful. And I think what's happening with ayahuasca, it, it, if it's done ceremonially with people who really know what they're doing, that can take you in. You know, true shaman, true shaman. And I believe there's probably a hundred real shaman in the world. I always teach. If somebody says they're a shaman, they're not. You know, and you know, a shaman would never say they are.
0: Those who say don't know. Those who know don't say. That's it. I notice that with myself. (laughs) Like the more that I, the more that I say words like which I don't say. I'm more mock, mock words in in like the mainstream, but spirituality and enlightenment and guru and like all these different things. But the, the more that I'm around a community that's those words are kind of chirping up more right. than than regular. I think oftentimes the more lost those people are and the more they're they're trying to be found. And so that's, you know, those those beacons start to come up because I'm like I'm not looking for a light. Whereas a person that's just swinging a hammer, having a good time and they got their family and you know, they might not really feel lost at all. Right. But they never, you know, read the Bhagavad Gita. No. No. I mean, you know, two, two
1: cats in the yard, it used to be so hard. You know? a yeah. house, a cottage, and a picket fence, and, and that, you know. That, that, well, that influence that came after the uh, agricultural revolution, and that's what changed things mm. big time. It used to be that you stayed on the farm and worked with dad and did that. And then the, the, the agricultural revolution uh, shifted into the uh, industrial revolution. And dad had to leave home to go to work and come back. And he wasn't there in the way he could have been with the kids, and life changed. Yeah. And it was the nuclear family, which is an experiment that didn't work. Hmm. Hasn't worked.
0: What do you think doesn't work about it? Well,
1: how many happy couples do you know?
0: I mean, it's, it's oscillations. Yeah. You know, there's no static state of anything.
1: Well... I mean, I agree with that. But I, I do a lot of couples counseling and teaching. Yeah. And if people really go to work and do, take the tools and really do it, is that that can open up where, where people can really have a real partnership. And like we were saying before we were recording, you know, who, who are you going to let into the holy space? Who are you going to let into the temple?
0: Yeah. And
1: it's the time that we become discriminant.
0: What about letting yourself into the holy space? And I think that for me, I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever loved myself entirely and allowed myself in entirely that's the work yeah
1: but I think that work never ends yeah Love ourselves and trust ourselves and the less we say gee I wish I hadn't sent that text you know sure uh, you know that we're that we're closer (laughs) to it you know that we you know it's like taking uh, you know I love Thich and yeah he says when the phone rings don't answer it for three bells don't go right into it you know get yourself centered and Mm. And being, I like that a lot, that makes sense to me.
0: I wonder with you with a, if you could speak to yourself, well, the, the, the guy or young man or boy wrenching on the ground because his, his girlfriend is with another guy, um, If you were with him being you, uh, what would you what would you do? Hold him. Yeah,
1: love him. Just love him hold him through it, hold that child in my arms, you know, brings tears to my eyes, you know, if that could have happened. You know, if somebody would have held me during that time, it would have been a whole different story. But I was on my own.
0: What would have been different?
1: I'd feel loved. Hmm. And I think that's the, that's the, biggest, the biggest thing. You know, I I work with people, and I say, I'll ask a whole group. I say, well, how many people here know how to love? And lots of hands will go up. I said, how many people here know how to let love in? Not too many hands. Hmm. That That's what we have to learn is to allow love in. And it's hard because it's about trust and what happened with your parents and what happened with religion and government and all that stuff, you know. But it's about really letting someone in, and that is— uh, And I got to be honest with you, I feel I'm in that space now. And I don't know, you know, that's, uh, even with my wife, with my last girlfriend, to a certain extent, I let her in, a wonderful person. And we had a wonderful partnership for a while. But there was a big age difference. And we both knew at the beginning that it had a shelf life. And uh, when it wound down, we were very conscious about about it winding down. And it was beautiful. And that stayed with me, and I felt loved in that relationship.
0: Do you think that's a, a a sensible, protective mechanism, to protect our psyche or emotions or biology to to only allow people in to a certain degree, or do you think that that's the healthiest, wholest being is able to access that with any other being?
1: Yeah. Well, I you know I, I, for myself, uh, you know, there's the the Chet Baker song, which is. I fall in love too easily. Yeah. I fall in love too fast. And, uh, but I don't think that really is it. I think what happens is, um, for me, I trust until it's, I'm, it, it has to be proven to me that I can't trust. I mean, right away, I'll know if somebody, I'm not going to let them in the temple. I'll know that right away. Right? But if I get into something, a friendship, a business agreement, whatever it is, I'll, I'll trust and then see what happens. But I think it, by trusting, you have more clarity. You know, if you're constantly holding stuff off, you've got a matrix in front of you. You can't see all this stuff. Yeah. So if you trust and really let somebody in, you see who they are. And that's a constant thing happening to me.
0: You, know? you mentioned before we started, you said something along the lines that I didn't, I didn't fully understand, but I was interested in discussing more of, you say, my, my guides are changing? I believe we all have a guidance uh,
1: A guidance system of some kind, right? We can call them inner teachers, gurus, guides, angels, whatever the fuck we call them. We all got them, right? There's something there. And the idea is to train ourselves to listen to them. And And I know that from working with people and from myself, that wherever that comes from, it changes. And that's when I say that your guidance system is changing and that's when you're growing and I think you have guides that you know the voice of wisdom that takes you to a certain place and then you go through a lot of changes and a different level of wisdom you know moving up the Bardot as a different different levels of wisdom come in hmm. and um, higher or lower lateral I don't know but I know it's different hmm. and I can sense that with myself I can sense that with the people I work with
0: hmm. where are these guides
1: all around us every minute ancestral, a lot of it is ancestral, cellular memory, you know, that, that locks in with us. Uh, and where are they? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I know that there's access. You know, yeah. I know there's access. And is that access meditation and prayer? Might be. You know, I believe prayer is just listening, being quiet, and listening for that voice of wisdom to come through. And... Uh, the more I grow up, the more I'm better at that, overly listening. And then you have to trust it. That's intuition. Yeah. Begin to trust your intuition. And once you trust your intuition, you can make no mistake. Even if it turns out to be something that is walking through fire or you burn your feet or whatever it is, it's still, that's part of the deal. Yeah. You know? And, um, and I believe that dictates who you let in and what you let, what you let in. But you know pretty quick by you know by by that and I, and you got to listen you know i talked to people they said you know uh, uh, i've heard it a lot of times uh a guy will say, like a woman will hear a guy say god i think you're incredible and uh you know i'm not really very good at relationship i'd like to try it with you and that's when i tell the woman to say oh, i got a bus leaving i gotta go because I believe we have to work out the relationship and what it is and something that we learn from and not something that you denigrate. Yeah. Right? And we hear people out of relationship and they say she or he was a whatever, you know, denigrate the opposite sex. And that is just, that's like gossip.
0: Mm. You know, that hurts. You know. I do that sometimes intentionally to lie to myself.
1: Mm, that they were. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah.
0: But I'm fully aware that I'm 100% responsible for every aspect of their existence in my life.
1: Well, and of course, that's the biggest lie to break, is the lies we tell ourselves to survive. Yeah. And at certain points, you have to, right? And then, is it a lie to say, okay, if I jump off this cliff, I know I'm going to hit the water? Now, is that a lie? No, I don't think so. Risk? Absolutely. We jump into risk. I don't believe there's growth without risk. We've got to take the risk, whether it's in business or with friendship or with our own life, our own spiritual life, or with our, you know, with a spouse or meeting somebody. We've got to take the risk. Yeah. And without risk, there's no growth, and it would be boring for me. I can never speak about anybody else. But if they want to come to me as a teacher, that's what they're going to get because what they're doing is they're getting my life, my experience. You know, As far as my doctorates in uh, psychology trained as a Jungian, And mostly the training is you just listen. You know, you just listen, let them go through it. But I'm not that. I talk. I'm a storyteller.
0: Yeah. Have you ever been arrogant?
1: I think others might say so. I don't think I am.
0: No, no, no. Have you ever been?
1: Have I ever been arrogant?
0: Yeah. Not in a moment, but more as like, oh, yeah, there was a time where I was really hopped up on my own Kool-Aid. No. Oh, great. No.
1: No, I, even as a... You know as a you know my first fame quote unquote came as a, a as a photographer, famous people and all that, and to me, it was always a surprise and even like my practice now and the feedback I get it's a beautiful surprise that it helps people you know and i'm I'm constantly surprised and often more often than not when i'm lecturing or talking or even with us, and I'm saying things that that I listen to and say oh I like that guy that was good <laughs> you know Yeah. what comes through you know I think we all feel that you know we listen to it and, and what do we call it a channel or whatever we call it you yeah know, whatever whatever uh, buttonhole we want to put it in
0: I'm to take a brief moment and thank A Vital Mineral referred to as magnesium for supporting the function of my nervous system i just took a couple capsules of magnesium about 15 minutes ago because it's 9 30 p.m in tulum mexico and i am winding down and the way that i do that is i take some motherflippin magnesium It's been something I've done for a long time. It's very helpful for calming the nervous system. It's helpful for down regulation in general. So if you have sore muscles, if you have hypertonicity, stiff joints, stiff muscles, those muscles around your neck or your jaw or any of that, if those guys are clamped down, magnesium can help. And uh, so it's something, it's one of the only supplements that I would actually purchase with my own money. And we teamed up with BioOptimizers because they make some of the best stuff that I've found absolutely. And I uh, got you 10% off. So if you're interested in trying some of the raddest magnesium that I've found, you can go to biooptimizers.com slash align. That is spelled B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash align. And you'll get 10% off biooptimizers.com slash align. So this stuff is extra excellent because it contains all seven different forms of magnesium in one capsule. So oftentimes when you get supplements, they'll only have one or two or a few. This has got a shotgun of all the good magnesium that you'll need. And all of the products are very well sourced. So I really trust this company, BioOptimizers, and um, I've been using their stuff for a while. And I think they're great. So check out BioOptimizers.com slash align. That's B I O P. T I M I Z E R S dot com slash line for 10% off. If you don't love it, they'll send you your money back. No big deal. All right, back to the program with my man, Bobby Klein. Pow. I wonder in relationship with, with another, you know, I think something that's been tossed around quite a bit that wouldn't be new information to anybody is that you can only go as deep with somebody else as you can with yourself. Oh, absolutely. What's like the blueprint? to cultivate relationship with yourself, like an intimate relationship? Be brutal. Be
1: brutal. as that thing you talk about lying to yourself. Identify what you're lying about and just don't do it and stay in humility. You know, at the end of a lot of workshops, I, I'm doing a new translation of the I Ching. I have a book coming out. Cool. Yeah, I send it out every week. I have been for 10 years to, like, 90,000 people around the world. Yeah. So in that, I, and I've been sending it out for that long, and now the book is going to come out next year, and um, called The New Earthy Ching. It's about this new time. I believe we're coming into a new earth, you know, a new golden age, if you will. And I believe that everything that's going on is toward that. So just last night at the uh, workshop I did at Ecole, afterwards were there and I was you know talking about the book and writing the book and I said well, as I was reading through what I had written that these four words came up I would write down dignity and I think we must have dignity in our life you know to be dignified the next word that I used a lot was integrity that's a tough one we got to stay honest and stay our integrity and the next word that I wrote right under it was compassion and we must have compassion for ourselves, for others first for ourselves. for others and the last one was kindness i like that bumper sticker said acts of random kindness that we just need to be kind and you you find yourself being kind to someone lots of people don't know how to like they're surprised that somebody is so kind and really nice so as i wrote them down one on top of the other i looked at the first letters of each and it spelled dick And I say, you just got to have more dick in your life. Nothing in life can uh, be solved if you have more dick.
0: That's perfect. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I always get a big laugh, but people remember it. Yeah. You know, you remember it, so you get into trouble. Yeah. Dignity, integrity, and that's it for ourselves too. You got to be, you know, all. It's about me first. Taking care of yourself.
0: Why do you think it's so hard to project love into the outside, but? to have that within and have like been tossing around like the, the concept of, of cultivating like, like a romantic relationship with yourself, mm-hmm. like wooing yourself, you know, writing yourself a love letter and taking yourself for a massage and making yourself getting the food that's, you know, you would get it if you were treating it to somebody that you love. But if it's all, oh, it's just me, I'll get the cheap shit, whatever. Right. Well,
1: I, I, you know, I, it's pleasing our inner beings you know, if it's a massage or whatever, our sensuality or fun, that I think we're doing that for this, like, childlike aspect that we have. You know, I believe there's always a dancing spirit with us, a joyous dancing spirit. And we feed that, you know, or however it is that we feed it. We feed it. Yeah. And we feed it with massage or taking a walk or being good to ourselves or eating the right foods and all that. We're feeding that part of ourselves. you know. Yeah. That's it. That's the, the positive side of the ego,
0: Why is it harder to do that for me in partnership with another person than it is alone? Your mother. Hmm.
1: Or the mother.
0: Yeah, the mother. Or
1: the idea of the mother. Hmm. Yeah. You know, what a young man should get from his mother is permission. She should, either in actual words or in tone in the way that she behaves or treats you, mother should say, darling, I love you, you're amazing, you're handsome, beautiful, you're my prince, and I know one day you're going to go out in the world and you're not going to stay attached to me to serve my needs. That's the permission. But what the command that young men get is, I love you, you're amazing, I know one day you go out in the world, but you're always going to stay attached to me mm. to serve my needs. And that's when uh, a young man cannot let himself go into a marriage until he solves that one. Hmm. And I believe that's a lot about what the addiction to porn is. Mm. Looking for a mother. Wow. And I found that in my practice with people, you know, that being addicted to prostitutes or uh, porn, it's because they haven't worked out the stuff with mom. You know, it's the Iron John story. Are you familiar with the story?
0: I am, but please retell it. Well, I won't tell the whole story, but it's
1: about there's a beautiful kingdom where everybody's happy i mean it was really wonderful and the king and queen were amazing and a young man a prince an and 12 year old boy and everything was great and um one day a very powerful hunter comes in a well-known well-loved hunter and he comes in and the king greets him welcome we're so glad to have you here and the hunter says is there anything dangerous to do here And the king says, well, you know, everything is really pretty good here, except over there. And he points to the forest. He said, nobody goes there. He said, people go in there. They don't come back. And Hunter said, ah, okay, that's for me. So he walks into the forest with his dog. They walk by a beautiful reflecting pond and a big hairy hand comes out and takes the dog down to the bottom. And the Hunter says, okay. He goes back to town, gets the 10 strongest men. They drain the pond. At the bottom is Iron John you know, kind of covered in rusty stuff. And they rope him up and pull him out and take him back to the king. And the king puts him in a cage on the plaza and said, we're safe now. We can go there. So the king and queen, shortly after that, go on a trip. And they're going out to collect their taxes to see their people. And the boy doesn't go. And the king says, look, do whatever you want. But the one thing don't do, don't go near the cage. All right? Don't go there. Now, we have to look at all this symbolically because we realize who Iron John is. That's a wild man. That's our wild man, right? And uh, of course, the boy is next to it, and it's a beautiful ball of gold he was given. And he's playing with the ball and drops it and it rolls into the cage. And the boy says, Give it, give it, give me, give that back. And Iron John says, No, uh-uh, not going to give you. And the boy cries and says, If you have my father, my father's a king, a prince, you better give that back. And he says, No, not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then uh, after a lot of crying, he says, okay, I'll give it back to you if you let me out of the cage. He said, I can't do that. I, you know, and all this, all that. He said, I can't let you out. And he said, if I, I wanted to, I don't have the key. And he said, the key is under your mother's pillow.
0: Hmm.
1: So he went and got the key. Iron John came out, and the kid realized He's fucked. You know, they're going to come back. He's going to be in trouble. This stuff has happened. And Iron John puts him on his shoulders, and off they go into the forest. And the boy becomes a man. And then the rest of the story tells about how he becomes a man and what he does. And that's what I, that's what I think we go through, those tests and that to really find ourselves. And that's the Iron John myth. And I use that in my I have a men's workshop here. A men's soul circle, and you know, I started out talking about that story and what parts of it we can identify with for ourselves. You know, where are we? Have we really let our wild man out? You know, because without letting the wild man out, you know, the other side of that is the book with women is about you know women that run with the wolves to really have that part, their wild part. And I think that people, I know people who don't express their wildness, you know, and then they're they're not bad people but they're not happy. They know something's missing, but they don't know what it is. You know, they don't have that place where they're just, you know, I, I often say, be courageous, be outrageous.
0: Yeah. I've had a lot of, um, I think, like a attachment clinging to conservation in my life. I think I, I, I've spent a lot of time kind of delaying life in order to conserve resources. What kind of resources energy, money, just everything? Hmm. You know, so like keeping my my levels all capped up mm-hmm. and I think that i've I learned that at some age you know the floor could fall out from under me at any time, or yeah um, you know and and so I think i've I've had that I've just exhibited that action on hmm. repeat. I've seen it many times where i'm like i'm kind of and now I think i'm I'm starting to get to that point of letting that wild man out, right. Which is, you know, it's still a process.
1: Well, of course it is, and it's a constant process. Yeah. yeah we if we if we let that out I mean, and I know what you mean, about conserving energy, conserving money, conserving friendship, whatever Not it that is. Not that there's
0: anything wrong. Those are all valuable things to do. Well, they are valuable but But sometimes it, I, you can miss out on the you know, the ride.
1: Right. Yeah, but it's about tempering it. Yeah, about having that, to have that imbalance. But I, you know, and I've and I've lived right up to the edge. I've had businesses that were successful, and you know, I'd invest and lost millions of dollars. And uh, you know, I don't mind saying I was a smuggler at one
0: time. And, what were you smuggling? Uh, marijuana. From great. From, my to, dad. My dad did too. Yeah. Yeah. From Colombia. Cool. So, and
1: and uh, you know that was that was the wild man. That was the cowboy.
0: How long did you do that?
1: Uh, not for long lucky i was so lucky but it lasted about nine months
0: you read that book Smokescreen? i think it's called mm-hmm. it's a, a similar story it's just that you know you could write it essentially it's yeah. about these these guys talking about it. i mean they had some crazy escapades but
1: yeah and so did, and so did we you know yeah. but the thing about always look, always you know going against the tide like that is always is always looking for uh looking over your shoulder you know, oh yeah. Watch what you say on your phone, looking at who's who's back there. You know, what is that van following me? And that's a terrible way to live. That's paranoia.
0: I was I was growing weed in Hawaii at one point. And right. that was a similar thing. I was I was going to massage school at the same time. And so I was trying to trying to come up with, with doing indoor grow. And uh I was getting fevers and headaches. Right. And my whole biology was right. literally like shutting me down. Right. Because I was I was going against this current where it's like everything was just I just I don't do well with thinking about us, you know they're going to be police in the door in the morning, right? But I was forcing myself into yeah. that yeah. position, yeah. And yeah. eventually, my, my literally my biology shut down on me. It was like we can't do this, right? Yeah. You we know, got me. Out. Why did you get out of it?
1: Um, I had a plane one of my planes uh, went down in wow. Honduras. And, Great
0: diving uh, out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this fight wasn't a good end. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's the last load. Of course. You know, I'm going to do this one. then I'm going to quit. Right? Of course. Yeah. And uh, that went down, and that was and that was the end. And the pilot got hurt. And,
0: oh man. You know, it
1: was not good. And I said, okay, I got it. Thank you for the message. I'm out of here. And thank God, nobody got killed. We definitely got shot at a few times, but uh, it was different. And, you know, and it helps me with patience to understand, you know, just what it's like to live like that and to be in that place where you're paranoid. And it's, it, I have to say it, it served me well, but that was the cowboy. That was the wild man hmm. that was there, you know, who was out there. And he needed to be tempered. You know, he was, he was going beyond the pale, Right. He was not conserving anything, and that's where you talk about conservation, and that's where you do it. You just, you cannot let the, you, you cannot let the wild man out 100%, yep. you
0: know,
1: or you can if you're a wild man, if you've done your work, you know, like Byron Katie said, work with a W, capital W, and yep. if you've done the work or doing the work, then you, you've, got, you've got balance to it, you know.
0: How did you get into acupuncture? I was told that you were the, the bringer of acupuncture to the Western world, which you're kind of like, well, kind of. How do you describe that?
1: I uh, had a restaurant. Yeah. First organic restaurant in L.A. Oh,
0: cool. called the Black
1: Rabbit Inn. And my partner is Jack Nicholson. So we had a great crowd. You know, he was the, the money behind it. And we had a good crowd, and it was really going really, really well. And... Uh, there was a lot of stress. You know, I was smoking too much dope, had too many, you know, depending on payrolls. and It was just really hard. And I got sick. And something happened with my eyes where everything started to get foggy. My eyes were red and hurt. And they looked, tried all the normal stuff, conjunctivitis or infections. They couldn't find anything. I went to eye clinic, to eye clinic. Went to Jules Stein. I went back east to uh, one of the institutes to, to get looked at. Nobody could figure out what it was. And I was at a party in L.A. And one guy says, "Klein, what's wrong with your eyes, man?" I said, "I don't know." He said, "I can't get it fixed." He said, "There's this acupuncturist in Chinatown." This is before it was legalized. Before Nixon went to China, and uh, he said, "You should try him." And I said, "Needles? I don't think so, man. Thanks." But I took the guy's address. And uh, next morning, I was worse. So it was really one of those, you know, what the fuck moments, I'm going to try this. And so I went into Chinatown, L.A., and up a back stairway, and the, the light was hanging by a cord in the, in the hallway, and uh, I knocked on the door. And the door had a chain up, and a Chinese man looked out. He said, wait, what do you want? And I said, I want the doctor. I said, you know, I need no doctor here and slammed the door because it was illegal. Hmm. Now you gotta remember in those days, I had, I had a braid down the middle of my middle of my back, moccasins, feathers, you know. I was I was in that mode, you know, my Native American kind of transitionary mode. So I had that and he looked at me, and said, Uh uh-uh, uh, not coming in here. And I but in those days I did not take no. I knocked on the door again put my foot, I said, Look, my eyes, I need a doctor, and he saw this, he says, okay. And he let me in, and I uh, sat on a couch. All the walls of uh, Dr. Kim's apartment were couches, and it was all lined up with Chinese people from the neighborhood. And I was the last one. And I waited two hours, again, something I never did, right? Wait? Me? I don't think so. You know, I'm not going to do that. He finally took me in, looked at me, took my pulses, and put in four needles, and took some blood from the top of my ear and he said, Take a breath. It was all in fifteen minutes. And I, and I felt my eyes were different. I said, I'm tripping. Can't be. Wow. And he held a mirror up for my eyes and I was fine. And I said, Wow, this is amazing. I said, When do I come back? He says, No come back, you fixed. And I said, Wow. I said, I said, okay. He said, fifteen dollars, please. Wow. And where this came from, I I don't know to this day. Um I said, I wanted to learn. And I never even thought about that. I said, I want to learn this. Something struck a chord in me. I said, I want to learn. He says, no, no, no teach Lofan. No, no. It's learning monastery, secret knowledge, no teach Lofan. And then I said to him, and this is where I don't know where it came from. I said, I am not leaving your apartment until you take me as a student. Now, little did I know, that in temples, if you say that to the, to the head of the monastery, if you say, I'm not leaving to you take me as a student, they have to take you. That's, that's required. Wow. And he looked at me and figured I knew something, I guess. And he says, okay, so you know how to make tea? I said, yeah. So I made tea and we communicated at his, at his uh, kitchen table through a Chinese-English uh, dictionary. And it turned out I had a restaurant. His father had been in the restaurant business. And so we hit it. And he said, okay, be here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. I said, I can't. I closed my restaurant at 2 o'clock. He says, says, oh, you don't want to learn, huh? And I did, and for almost four years. Sometimes four or five days a week. I showed up in the morning, saw patients until 11, and went back to my restaurant and worked.
0: Do you think that that was predestined?
1: Yes. No. <laughs>
0: That's I <my> thought. <laughs> yeah. 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 I go back and forth. I guess it ultimately it just doesn't matter. Doesn't. Doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah. I,
1: I, I guess you know, and and you know, I I, I. I remember once I had a past life reading and said that I was a, a doctor in Atlantis, but I don't know. I don't know. But it all felt natural, and I knew it. I, you know, I'd be working in the, with patients, and he would say, okay, what do you do in this case? And I said, these points and these points. And he looked at me and said, how would you know that? And I said, I don't know. Hmm. And so I did have that. I did have some connection. Was it like we talked about guides telling me what to do? Maybe. I don't know. But my intuition was strong. Yeah. And that's why at my workshops, that's what I, what I do. It, like with, I had 50 people. And uh, at the end of the workshop, after we do our meditation, I set up two lines of people, and they face their, their partner. And uh, I say one side are doctors, the others are patients. And I tell them, the doctors, scan your patient with your eyes and trust what you see, where you think there's going to be a vacancy of light, vacancy of energy. Do they need help with their digestion? They have headaches, they have a broken heart, back hurts, their leg hurts. Just do what you think is right and fire it up and they do and they're good and people really receive it and people are really helped because i tell everybody everybody's a healer right either for others or for ourselves and they do it and they their intuition takes them in and knows what to do and then the doctors become patients, and the patients become doctors. It's like
0: their their wild man comes out and starts to do the work. Their wild person, yeah. that, that, wild, that wild woman. That, right,
1: that part of himself comes out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we could call it the wild man. We we could call it, again, that's risk. You know, how am I going to be seen? Now, what is my judgment? And then after I have have people work together for a long time. If it's a long workshop, I just do a couple hours. But if it's gone on for, you know, the day or something, I say, okay— with your partner, tell them what you think of them. And I say, Haven't you always wondered what people think of you from getting to know you? And then they tell them. And of course, it's almost all good stuff. But they see the beauty, and that way we see the beauty in others. You know, what do you think of that person? And to hear it, I because mean, don't we wonder? Yeah. What does somebody want to think of? Me?
0: Did you ever know uh, Ramdas or Richard Albert during I, the years? I knew Tim. Okay, yeah, it was when you were talking about the acid, I was like, right. I'm sure you knew Tim.
1: Yeah, but um, I didn't know uh, Ram Dass. Yeah, but I I love what he's written and what he said. He's you know. Great. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, I often tell my my clients. You know, that they say, "Well, if you think you're getting enlightened, go spend a week with your parents." Right. You know, and that's the thing we talked about. Like you were talking about in relationships, the idea is not to change, right? Who we are in that relationship. Not to act differently than we really are. What is our truth? What is our essence? Right? And we stay with that. I believe that's enlightenment, which is remembering who you are and not deviating from it.
0: Well, hopefully a relationship would be the process of becoming more of yourself.
1: Well, becoming a better person in reflection of another
0: i would presume that more of one's self would be you know their self actualized like if you're self actualized to use like like maslow talk All right my feeling with that that would be the the purest essence of you
1: and holding to it yeah and holding to it cuz like i say with my work it's to become a better person and to be able to love more and be loved what that is is that self actualization i think so
0: yeah. do you feel self actualized no no you think i think you'll make it that'll, that'll, is that, listen, or maybe that's an obstacle awesome I, yeah, well. I don't know yeah i don't know
1: i i'm a work in progress yeah sure you know so I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I I hear from people, you know, that you say you're so spiritual and so enlightened. I say, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's not really me, you know. But, but I, but I, because I, I, you know, I see what happens to a lot of people who are healers or therapists or that. Like they say, they be, they lose their humility. Yeah. And if I lose my humility, which I really have to say that I I I. Maybe in this interview, I'm not so humble, but I do. No,
0: from what I'm tracking, that's why I asked about the arrogance. Because it seems like you're so disidentified with the idea of Bobby Klein. And you're very like, it feels like sand through a hand as you're talking. it's like, doesn't seem very attached to, right. to any of these ideas, which I think I, I really resonate with and I appreciate. Right. I wondered if you had to learn that as the reason I asked about the arrogance.
1: No. You know, I got beaten as a kid and that doesn't come to arrogance, you know, and living on my own, that doesn't lead to arrogance, you know, and and I've always felt, I've always felt fortunate, always felt fortunate, you know, even if I've I've lost a few times, I've lost everything in business, like lost it all and Mm -hmm. down to nothing. And I, uh, and I would say to myself, look, as long as they don't take away my license to breathe, I'm fine. And I'll recover. I'm a survivor. And I love that about myself because it lets me be as fearless as one can be operating out there.
0: Do you think the concept of being a survivor still denotes some attachment to suffering?
1: Absolutely. know Absolutely. Well, if it's an attachment but we know it's there? You know, I'm not waiting for either the shoe to fall so I'm suffering. But I just know that that's part of the deal. Now, you know, I believe all all emotions, all things like that follow a bell curve. They rise up, they peak, and then they go. And if you allow that to happen, you learn something from it. It can happen in a matter of hours or a matter of days, right? It comes up, you deal with it, and you let go. And then, you know, if you're fortunate, you have found a mentor in life or you found a teacher, that gives you the tools to do that. And I've been really blessed by finding Indigenous teachers, teachers of uh, all different kinds of disciplines. I've been really, really lucky, and that intones a level of—I mean, it doesn't sound very humble to say you're humble, but you know that at least that level in not getting so attached to myself. Yeah. You know what what that is. Um, but in some situations, I take no prisoners. You know, in other situations, I don't take any. I don't really take any shit. I mean, I have certainly in life. You know, you want to get by with something or, you know, you're doing something in business or even here, the attachment to one of these places that I helped open. Yeah. You know, you get beat up. But then, you know, again, okay, well, what's the deal? And And I am at the place where I know it's going to lead to something that I don't expect. And that's a great place to be for me. Yeah. To not, it's, I know it's going to be different, and I know it's going to be good. Whether it's good in what everybody else thinks is good, I know it's good for me, even if it's harsh and even if it's hard.
0: Yeah, the reason I brought up the Ram Dass thing is that he has a an analogy that I like that was kind of popping up now. Of uh, he has all of these neuroses, neuroses, however you'd say that word, and he said he hasn't canceled or chopped, or lost, or dropped any of the neuroses that he's had throughout his life. They just went from becoming, you know, at one point, these monsters that ran his life to now becoming almost like these little children. You know, he's right. come in, we can have tea, and like, oh, there's the... You know, the, the greed thing, or there's the Absolutely. not enough thing, or there's yeah. the sexual perversion thing, or whatever. I, can,
1: I, I get that, you know, because I believe all these monsters we have are really little toy monsters. And I talk about dissecting them, right? About taking, right. taking the monster apart, you know, deconstructing these fears. And when you deconstruct them, you find it's no big deal hmm. that you can move on. Because you know you survived, and you're still alive, hopefully, when you're doing it.
0: Is there any fears that you're in the process of deconstructing?
1: To be fully present in a relationship. Yeah. You know, that still is there for me. Hmm. I mean, I've had uh, really two big relationships in my life, a marriage, and then I was with somebody for five years, or three, and then I was with somebody for three years, and they were beautiful. And I learned a lot, and in considering entering into a new relationship, I have to work. I had to work on, like you're talking about, of, you know, being, really being who I am and not letting myself change and notice when I feel myself change or I hear my voice change you know hello, how are you doing <laughs> you, know, <Yeah>. you, <laughs> you know you know and you get you know you get to that place where you uh where you change. I hear it from a lot of people I work with. They say they meet somebody powerful. They meet a celebrity or something. They're not themselves. Of course. They don't say what they want to say. Yeah. Right? They're tongue-tied. For so celebrity
0: it people oftentimes hang out with celebrity people because it's not weird to be... They're, they're like, oh, right, whatever. Right. There's, no, exactly. there's not that jump. Right, exactly. Yeah. But
1: it's any successful person. Like f- for me in my life, I, I want to hang out with successful people who have open minds and open hearts. Right Like you and I, we could be friends, yeah. you know because there's no no block, no big deal, you know you 're not trying to be something. I 'm not trying to be something,, yeah. and you get to that place, right, and if it 's not there, it 's a waste of time. Why do that to yourself, and so i 'm monitoring myself now entering into this like a very new phase in uh with, with someone and just watching myself and checking myself and seeing what's going on. And that's not natural, of course, you know, that I have to allow myself to be in the flow. I was interviewed for a book uh, a couple of years ago by a woman who's writing a book about men. And she interviewed guys from the doormen to Wall Street guys and celebrities. And she said that men, in all her interviews, one thing they wanted to know was how to properly treat a woman in their life. How to do it and I think that's important and I think I know what I is, think I know what
0: is it well
1: I mean it's you know it's big it's a lot you know it's humility it's respect it's you know holding space you know the poet Rilke he wrote uh uh letters to a young poet hmm. you'd like that yeah, it's really it good out. yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he wrote a, a letter about relationships, and he said the, the, the reason for rejection or choice is can you set that person at the gates of the gates of your sanctity? Can you put them at those gates? Will they be there to, to protect yourself, to protect you? Huh. Will they be at the, at, the, at the gates of your solitude? Can you put them at the gates of your solitude? And in turn, will they assign you to the gates of their solitude? And he said that's the reason for rejection or choice. And I believe that's true, you know, not somebody who you really have to be quiet and you're sitting and just really need to be quiet and they don't say, and they say, did I do something? What's wrong, yeah. right? To leave it alone and allow you to be there and allow you to process. And I think that really is, and I'm, I, I truly believe I'm really good at that with friends, with people and just let people have it, be who they are. And not try to change anybody. And if you go into a relationship thinking, well, that person's great, I really would like to change this aspect about them if I love them enough. And of course, then the relationship's cooked. Yeah. Done. You know? And uh, can you change yourself? No. But you can let go of a lot of stuff that blocks you. You know, a lot of your early programming from, you know, from mom, dad, sisters, brothers, church, state whatever religion, whatever it is. Yeah. We've got to let go of that stuff.
0: I find myself, it's easier for me to have greater compassion for everyone, including myself, when I perceive them through the lens of them essentially being like children wearing adult costumes, mm-hmm. which isn't an idea that I made up, but I, I'm borrowing it from whoever did make it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you start to see the world that way, everybody's, it's just a bunch of love. You know, it's a bunch of crying kids and a bunch of, you know, people that are scared about their, you know, in acceptance this, in mom this, dad.
1: In this same letter, uh, letter by Rilke, he said, uh, every day you should step through the curtain in holiday clothing before an immense sky where no day is like any other day, no day before.
0: That's why you eat mushrooms every now and again. There you go.
1: <laughs> I get
0: it. I get it.
1: Yeah, yeah, to be able to touch that. You know, be able, and, and I believe that, you know, we talked about psychedelics and that. It's, it's being able to touch the divine, yeah. which we can get to a certain level with breath work. And we can get there with um, uh, meditation or whatever. But however we do it, you know, it's being able to come to the place where we touch the divine. And I can't tell you what, I, what that really is. But I know that it's a place of, of, of ultimate pleasure, ultimate freedom. And uh, whether it lasts for thirty seconds or you know that place you get to in meditation where you really are clear, and then you think to yourself, "God, I'm really clear," and then of course it's gone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What a great time, man! Thanks so much for making time to have this conversation. Pleasure. I appreciate it. Pleasure.
1: I like, and that's what life's about—is good conversation.
0: I agree. You know,
1: that's (laughs) what—that's what we gotta have. I give dinner parties so there's good conversation. Yeah. You know, and that to me is. That's the essence of, of, of life, you know. In, my, in these workshops that I do, I have people talk story to each other, you know, that term talk You live story. in Hawaii? Hi, I see I spent time. Hawaii yeah. is my
0: old home. Yeah? Yeah. Kauai. Oh, nice Maui. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's, uh, well, I was very young. But, yeah. you know, you come to the place where you talk story and, you, and I have the people tell each other, you know, like last, last night was about where, where did you, in your life, have you felt shamed? And what what you've done, and how can you forgive yourself mm. for what that was, and you're talking that story to get it out, and then the partner can go and do what they what they've gone through, and then I say, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have these kind of honest conversations all the time or a conversation like we're having yeah, you know that's that's golden, no price on that one yeah well, thanks, man. This has been fun.
0: What a great thing. I feel like uh, as you're talking, I feel like I'm like. It's almost like a massage for my psyche in a way. So I really appreciate
1: that. That's a nice compliment. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: what can people go to learn more about you or your work? Or I have, work a we- with-
1: I have a website, bobbykline.com, uh, B-O-B-B-Y-K-L-E-I-N.com. And they can sign up to get the I Ching. It's free. Cool. They get it every week. Amazing. And I'll get you on the list. And, yeah, it's, please. and it's my translation and interpretation And I came to it from, uh, you know, Jung was very much into the I Ching and Taoist thought. So I used it in my practice. But what I found was, is the other translations that I saw were very stilted and sexist and old ideas about relationship and that. Mm -hmm. So when I got a hold of a 1,500-year-old copy of the I Ching and I got help translating it, it's lyrical and beautiful and modern. So that's why I chose to do a new translation, a new interpretation of it, and so you can sign up for it there, and then uh, keep your eyes on Amazon; it will be up there in February.
0: Great, It'll be there, you know
1: that whole thing. I'll buy my book.
0: Yeah, of course, buy the book. Yeah. Well, um, it's a real honor to get to share um, a conversation with you personally, and get to share it with other people as well, and something that I think is, I'm eager to spend time with more people that I would truly consider an elder. And uh, I just so greatly appreciate you opening time to get to share, man.
1: Yeah, really a pleasure. Like I said, I like being an elder.
0: We need more elders.
1: Yeah. Where we are to... the elders? Well, you know, the, what we see is, you know, I'm, I'm really one of the few or, or maybe the or one of the only in America, one of the only white elders speaking, a non-Indigenous elder, you know, a non-Native, some kind of Native elder. And I'm one of the very few uh, white, Caucasian,
0: you know. Could you define elder from, what does elder mean?
1: Well, I think first we look at the age. Yeah. The time that you've been there. And I think you can be an elder, <laughs> it's like Tim Leary said about taking acid. I said, if you if you turn on an asshole, what do you get? You get a turned on asshole.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: it's the same thing. You can have an elder who's bright and lighter. You can have an elder who you don't really want to hang out with. You know, so I think it's, it's just like anything else. You know, you hit the age. And, but in Mexico, there's a lot of respect for elders. In other countries, more than America. Yeah. In America, they warehouse the elders and leave their knowledge just to go away. So I feel so blessed uh, to be an elder that teaches. And I also know that that's my mission. And how blessed am I that I know my job and like it.
0: Yeah. I love it, man. Um, all right. Well, thank you again. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. And that was beautiful. Well, as we,
1: as we say here in Mayan, there's a phrase, in la Lakin," la kin, and it means I am the other you. So, brother, in la quesha la kin,
0: In la quesha la kin. <laughs> All right. Thank you, brother. You oh, over now. I hope you guys devoured that conversation. I had such a great time getting to record it. Uh, It was at Bobby's house in his home in Tulum, Mexico. And he's got this beautiful like soaking pool in front of his place and lots of plants. It feels like you're in the jungle. And inside of his house, there's all these books and uh, there's like masks and dragon statues and stuff. It's very cool. Really beautiful, surreal experience. Um, So we also have the video from that as well. So you can check that out. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can share it on the Instagram. Tag me at Align Podcast. Tag Bobby Klein. uh, His name is spelled B-O-B-B-Y-K-L-E-I-N, I I believe. Um, So hope you guys dig that. Tell your friends about it if it was supportive. And per mentioned, we are selling everything under the Align Collection at AlignPodcast.com for 20% off. So if you were thinking about getting even my book, uh, the book on there is for 20% off as well, I believe so if you're interested in getting the total strength kit i know people have been loving that the aligned pants which are essentially stretchy uh jeans that are they look rad they've got like a cell phone pocket thing kind of like a secret secret pocket on the side Um, people have really super loved them i've gotten so many comments from people saying these are my absolute favorite pants which i couldn't ask for anything more than that so grateful for y'all happy thanksgiving i hope you guys enjoyed this conversation uh check out align podcast on the instagram on there the link is in the bio for the 20 percent off of everything and uh i hope you're doing something good i hope you hug your mom hug your dad hug your brother sister tell somebody that you love them tell somebody that you care spread some love in the world we can use it all right i will see you next week